All right, you guys can open your word to Hebrews chapter 4, and your Bible should flop open there, because we were there a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to be there for a little bit longer. Um, I guess we could say we're learning to fly paper airplanes. You guys remember my paper airplane from a couple of weeks ago? Um, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, just felt like the Lord was directing us to give some significant attention to the ministry of prayer in the church and the activity of prayer in our own lives as those who walk with the Lord. And I have several thoughts the Lord had put in my heart from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that we were going to work through in the next couple of weeks or so. But the paper airplane illustrated this reality, that in a fallen world, many conditions in our lives bump into the fallenness of this setting. There's friction in this world. So there's not a thing you're going to do in the Christian life that's not going to be opposed, that's not going to bump into your own weak contribution, the possibility and activity of waywardness that comes into each and every one of our lives, no matter how sincerely devoted to God we are. Uh, This is not heaven. We are not living the existence of being in glorified bodies, relating to God in a glorified setting. So you're going to encounter stuff here, stuff that pulls things down in your life, right? So I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, your prayer life, and if you've been saved for any time, your prayer life is kind of like this paper airplane. At some point, you hear something, read something, encounter something in God that awakens your heart to prayer, and you, and, and you get serious about it, and you change some activity, and you make room for it, and you study it, and you get around God, and suddenly your prayer life begins to take shape differently than it was before. All right? So in some way, we kind of pick up our prayer lives, and we throw it as far as we can, and eventually it flies for a while, and eventually we have to pick it up again. And that shouldn't be a mystery to us, like I said. For some Christians, after you've done this about four or five or ten or a dozen times, you start being tempted to give up on the process, right? You don't want to pick your prayer life up again after the umpteenth time that you've let it die again, and pick it up and throw it. It just feels like, well, why? Why do that? Um, here's, why, here's why I do it. Because it's going to fly for a while. And while it's flying, significant things in the kingdom of God are going to be happening. Amen. That if you leave it there, I don't know that I can say that. Because the Bible doesn't let me say that. Now, I don't know how God runs everything, so I can't explain the whole deal. But I just know that there's a place where God mandates that you and I are called to some type of responsibility in this category of our existence. Now, we're in this series because the Lord, I felt like, called an audible as we were coming out of the summer Bible jam. We were on our way back to 1 Corinthians, and I felt like the Lord said, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to pick up from Hannah's story where I began to do something among my people because Hannah was a woman who prayed. And this morning, I thought the Lord called an, another audible yesterday. Um, 
that I'm always grateful that the Lord is, is directing us and we sense his direction. So I'm grateful for that, but at the same time, it derailed my time of study. So here, here's what you're going to get this morning. You're going to get page one, and that's it. And the, the problem with that for me is page two, three, and four are, represent hours and hours and hours of prayer and study that won't be used today. I trust the Lord will get, let us get back to that. But as I just begin to pray, every week I, I try to pray through the message just to make sure my heart is carrying the burden of what God is trying to say. And I began to do that yesterday in particular, and I just, I just felt like the Lord just derailed me, derailed us this morning. And I'm going to say this carefully because it's going to feel a little bit offensive. Um, I feel like the Lord said, this is a little bit more dramatic than, than what it felt like, but it was close to this. They're not listening. So it, it felt like, and then when I picked up my airplane this morning, I, I just wondered, and you're going to have to check in your own heart, because I get this. You know, this is Sunday morning. You got a lot going on. You showed up in here two weeks ago. It was a message on prayer. And you went back to a lot going on, right? Monday's coming. Then a lot of other things happen. You got stuff going on in your life. School year started. Bill's got to get paid. New job. I mean, there's just stuff happening. And, and so my question is, from two weeks ago, how many of you picked up your plane two weeks ago? and did anything with it. You picked up your prayer life, and you said, no matter where it is right now, I know the Lord has more for me. And I'm going to pick this up, and I'm going to fly in a fresh way in my prayer time, relating to God through prayer. So I felt like this morning what the Lord wanted us to do was to get our attention, just to ask each of us, are you listening? Because I know it's very possible. I, I've, I've been in a lot of messages. It's very possible to, to politely engage at some level. But I, I don't think the Lord's just after polite engagement. I, I think he's trying to renovate something in our lives. I think he's trying to change the way that we interact with him through this thing called prayer. So that, that's why we're doing this series and I felt like this morning the Lord wanted to awaken something in us before we go any further. So let me just share some things. I, this is, I'm going to get back to that first page at some point, but I'm just going to download some thoughts that I felt impressed by prayer-wise yesterday. So just, just as your pastor, I'm just going to share my heart a little bit with what the Lord is impressing on my heart for us in this regard. I'm aware of this. I need to interact with this first. I'm, a, I'm aware of this. Today's, today's audience sitting, listening to messages in churches has uh, a bit of an allergic reaction to something that can happen while we're listening to messages. Allergic reaction number one is this sense that you're going to listen to a message and you're going to walk away with something else to do, 
something else to do. Like, like, I didn't have enough to do coming in here today. I've got something else to do. And audiences today have an allergic reaction to that. Sometimes you hide from that by, you can theologically push back on that because there's a lot in the Bible that's not about you doing anything. It's a lot. Matter of fact, some of the greatest things about the Bible are about you and I staring at what's been done for us on our behalf. But if you read your Bible carefully, you'll notice that those statements are almost always within arm's reach of the Bible turning around and telling you to do something. Because there's an experiential dimension to what God wants for our lives. But the two things that audiences don't want to encounter when they come to church today, or when they're anywhere, quite honestly, they don't want anything else to do, and they don't want to be made to feel guilty. Like, so if you walk out of here with either one of those in your backpack today, part of you is going to be saying, ah, I needed to come to church for that. I needed to show up so I could feel worse about myself. I get that. I get that. Now, be very, very careful because if you read historically and you study the Bible and you hear messages that have been preached over the course of time, It's not necessarily, it could be, but it's not necessarily the preaching that is making us feel that way. It could be, it could be. It could be week in and week out, all you're ever hearing from the pulpit is how the kingdom of God rises and falls on you, not on the sovereignty of God, not on what Christ has done on our behalf, and you don't ever hear that. That could happen. But might it also be that we live in a day where we are constructing lives that have got no room in them for one more ounce of anything? So if you give me one thing to do, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm going over the edge. Because I came in here trying to figure I can't manage what I got. I can't keep up with what I got. I can't live this life. And, and you're giving me one more thing to do. Really, one more thing. And then the guilt kicks in right behind that, right? Because we've got this huge list of life that we just can't seem to get around to. So, you know, no matter what topic somebody shows up in and preaches from, you know, we, we don't feel like we're significantly getting around God's spiritual devotions. We don't feel like we're relating to our wives sufficiently. We don't feel like we have an adequate space for our children. Uh, our extended family's got this problem. We're not involved with it. I mean, just everywhere in our life, we feel like there's not enough of me showing up right there. And, and then you come into church and you get laid on you and you're not praying enough either. Oh, thanks a lot. All right, so what you, what you want me to do with that? You want me to just not teach on this? Let me just not bring up prayer? Let's just not even talk about prayer because, oh, I know I'm, this is going to be the, the prayer straw that broke the camel's back. Finally, just I'm going over the edge here, you know. I, I'm feeling guilty, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then you understand the dilemma, right? That's, that's not possible. So do we need to strip the Bible of all the moments where it calls us and summons us to some kind of activity, 
because our lives are in such condition that there are no parking spaces in my life. Do you understand? I don't have room to park the prayer car anywhere in my life. And I'm talking about me. I don't know how your life is, but my my parking lot's full. So anything I could bring up today, that parenting seminar? (laughs) Oh my gosh, you want to, I don't know, we're just going to have a guilt recovery station on the way out of that meeting (laughs) for all of us. Because we all know we're not spending enough time parenting our children and I got to come here and hear this guy tell me that. Oh, jeez, I'm not signing up. I'm not coming. <laughs> well, there's got to be some kind of other remedy than avoiding what God says to us. I don't know exactly what it is, but that can't be it. Right? I, I'm going to give you a little bit of lay of the land here in Hebrews today, but if, if you're in that part of your Bible, this is what leads into this passage that we are studying together. Hebrews chapter 4 begins this way. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The context of the verses that we're studying of approaching the throne of grace with confidence that we might find mercy and grace to help in time of need The context of that is a people who had wonderfully dripping great promises presented to them that they failed to experience the depth of it in their own life. Well, that that could be us, right? I mean, it could be us as well. So we we got to this prayer emphasis by by looking at, at Hannah's life. Remember what we looked at? Remember studying Hannah's life? Hannah finds herself in a moment when there was no king in Israel and each man did what was right in his own eyes. The Bible will go on to say in that season, vision or revelation from God was seldom heard. So there was this pervading darkness upon the land. How does one break and bring light into pervading darkness in the land? Well, Hannah is the model for us to follow, and it's the model throughout Scripture, and it's the model throughout church history. She begins to pray and cry out to God. And God moves in her prayers and moves in her life and brings forth a man named Samuel who will set in motion radical change for the course of that nation. You and I are living in our own set of darkness. I I think the times in which we live as, as, as a pastor, I feel like these are the darkest times I can recall. They're, they're dark because they're dull. Not dark because they're as nasty as they can possibly get. They're dark because there's a pervasive dullness in our time. How do do we break into that? 
How does light break into that? And I feel that way about Christianity on the Western, in the Western world where we live, the effect of Christianity in local churches. But, but you might stare into your own world, into your own space, into your own personal setting of, of how things are going with you personally. How are things going in, in your home, in your marriage? And you might honestly stare at that and see darkness. A season of darkness has come upon your world. And so the question is, how will light break into that? Is is it just going to happen? I guess. God does all kinds of things with no explanation. But God often breaks into places through prayer. So he incorporates prayer into his breaking in. So if you've got a situation going on in your life, it is appropriate for you and I to ask ourselves the hard question. Am am I praying about this? Is this the subject of prayer? Have God and I been having some extensive conversations about this? Have Have I gone to war in the heavenlies over these issues that I see going on around me? Because the Bible's going to make some, some strong statements, right? Well, I could gather hundreds of these. Well, let me just throw a couple of scripture passages up here, right? James chapter 4. You have not because you ask not. Jesus said in Matthew 9, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Pray earnestly, right? These are These are things the Son of God stares into the field of harvest and and he doesn't deploy them. He tells them pray that there would be deployment. The direction before there's an inbreaking of God is pray for the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers into this harvest field. Colossians 4 Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. At the same time, pray also for us. You you can hear the Apostle Paul's sense of need and desperation as he moves forward in God, but he, he appeals to those that are believers. Pray also for us. He turns around to Corinthians and says, you also must help us by prayer. Gospel mission Anybody coming to believe the gospel and receive it and transfer their loyalty from their self to God is going to take a mighty move of the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul knew that. And he appealed to Christians, pray for us, help us by prayer. Now, everybody hearing that stuff is hearing one more thing to do. Here's one more thing to do. They got one more thing to do now. Listen, there's some stuff on the other end of this praying that's worth doing one more thing to have. How many of you guys enjoy having some coffee in the morning? I mean, I mean, if you're like me, I mean, I really, it's ceremonial. It's, it's, a, it's, it's got religious overtones to it. There's something really simple that we take for granted when we go to make coffee every morning. But the first thing you've got to do 
is plug the coffee maker in. How much sense does it make to own appliances that are not plugged in? To have things that they look good, they're in the right place, but they are not plugged into the power. See, that's what prayer does. Prayer plugs things into power. So I might have a whole life full of appliances all over the place. And if I really want that coffee, that one more thing to do, no problem. Plug it in. Makes it work. And I'm more than happy to do it because I love the outcome. It would make no sense to have a coffee pot that's not plugged in. Now, can you think into all the realms of life that you and I have been called by God to occupy and live in that need power that comes by it being plugged in? Just think of all the stubborn spaces. Think of all the dark spaces. Think of all the struggle spaces that need power for something different to happen in that category. And that's the unique role that prayer plays. Been visiting with an old author and studying some things on prayer. O. Halsby. He's a Norwegian from Oslo, Norway. He wrote a book called Prayer. It's a pretty simple title. Prayer. That's what you do in the early 1900s. You just make things really simple. Prayer. We have this quote. He says, It is our Lord's will that we who have received access to these powers through prayer should go through this world transmitting heavenly power to every corner of a world which needs it sorely. Our lives should be according to our Lord's plans. Quiet, but steadily flowing streams of blessing, which through our prayers and intercessions should reach our whole environment. It is his will that we should begin at home as we go in and out among our dear ones day by day. We should transmit to them by intercessorily wireless. Don't you love that? This is 1931. This guy was way ahead of his times, huh? Transmit into these lives by intercessory wireless that supernatural power which will enable them to lead victorious lives and which will put thanksgiving and joy into their hearts upon their lips instead of a series of disheartening defeats bringing discouragement to both body and soul. He, he, he presents this like, you and I have the power to broadcast that kind of power into the people's lives around us as we pick their lives up and pray and ask for God to show up in these spaces of life to see an impact on their lives. In that section, a little bit later, he says something that kind of caught my attention when he used this word complain. He says, we complain often that we have so many unqualified pastors. It is comparatively easy to complain 
what we really should complain most about is ourselves and our own slothfulness in prayer. And I thought what rushed into my head as I looked at that, I thought, oh, man. We're, we're, we're really pretty good at complaining, aren't we? I mean, in all kinds of categories. I'm not, he just uses the example of, of missionaries and prayer for pastors in his book. But we're just, we're just pretty good at complaining. I, it's like, like there's a school out there that teaches people how to complain. And you, you, it's amazing how much thought you can gather, how many categories you can dissect and become aware of. This thing's broken this way and that way, and this is what's wrong with it, and this is why I don't like it. I mean, we, just, we can create a complaint list in a heartbeat. We don't even have to study very hard. It's like we're so discerning. You know, here would be a legitimate question for us. We know what God has, God has, I don't, I don't know, I was about to say, God has said very little about complaining. I, I don't know if there's a verse anywhere, anywhere in the Bible that tells us to complain. Is there? I mean, am I missing one? You guys have read the Bible a few times. So how is it that we're so good at complaining when the Bible hadn't told us anything about doing that and we're not so good at praying and the Bible's all over that topic? So, so why can I be in a setting where when I bump into something that I think is unfavorable, I don't like it personally, I can complain with the best of them. We could take notes on each other. Oh, well, hey, that's a fresh angle. I haven't come from that angle. You say that to your kids? Really? I need to write that down. I've never complained about that, but yeah, that's a good one. And, and this, this is how we're doing life. The things that you've complained about. Have, have, have you prayed much about those things? Just think in the last week. I, I'm sure everybody, if you're an American, you've complained about the government at some level. Prayed for the government this week? You complained about your spouse? To your spouse? To somebody else? Anybody who would listen? <laughs> Have you prayed for your spouse? How is it that we've become so good at things the Bible never told us to do and so bad at things the Bible couldn't be more clear about? How did this happen? Well, Halsby goes on and he says, prayer is the most important work in the kingdom of God. And I would have to agree. Look at this. This is the only part of the intro that we'll get to today. In his book on prayer, this is, the only, this is in your notes if you want to look at it. He says this, Jesus comes to a sinner, awakens him from his sleep in sin, converts him, forgives him his sins, and makes him his child. He, then he takes the weak hand of the sinner and places it in his strong nail-pierced hand and says come now i'm going with you all the way and will bring you safe home to heaven if you ever get into trouble or difficulty just just tell me about it i will give you without reproach everything you need and more besides day by day as long as you live 
from this it is very apparent also that a child of God can grieve Jesus in no worse way than to neglect prayer. For so doing, he severs the connection between himself and the Savior and his inner life is doomed to be withered and crippled, as is the case with most of us. Just clarify something here. Because that word sever is a big word, probably an overreaching word, definitely a dramatic word. Prayerlessness and any deficiency in our lives as believers doesn't disconnect us from God. Because we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We are born again by the Spirit of God. God has made a covenant with his Son that we are included in. So you, you can't shake God that way. You can't get rid of him that way. And he doesn't get rid of you on the grounds of that. So this word sever is, is a good word if it's understood in a good way. If it's understood in a poor way, you're going to turn prayer into something that works you back into a connection with God, which prayer will never do that for you. It's only the grace of God made known to us through Jesus Christ that puts us in right standing with God, period. All over the Bible, matter of fact, in our verse that we're looking at in Hebrews, where it says, let us then draw near to the throne of grace. Now, that use of the word that implies that I'm going to move from here to there, and when I do, I'm going to be closer. It's not trying to say I'm going to get saved, because draw near is going to be used seven times in the book of Hebrews. So there's something about our experience in life, our relating to God experientially that can develop this sense of distance. So that I have a relationship with God, but he feels like he's nowhere to be found. He feels uninfluential to me. His voice seems faint and disconnected. I think that's the severing sense. You and I desperately need to hear God say things to us. Prayer is the means by which God does that. I I need to find a relating to God that has an exchange to it where his life comes to me and his words find their way into my soul. No matter how fast I'm traveling, no matter what I've got going on, I need God's word to visit me that way. And if I don't, I believe these conditions are accurate conditions. The connection between himself and and the Savior and his inner life is doomed to be withered and crippled, as is the case with most of us. Man, if this guy could write that in 1931 and speak to the church in Oslo, Norway that there was a little bit of a distraction problem going on for them? (laughs) What would he say today? I'm pretty sure, come on, let's be honest here. I'm pretty sure 1931 Norway, you got a lot of spare time on your hands. I'm just thinking, right? I mean, the winter comes, what what the heck are you doing in Norway in the wintertime in 1931? You're not thumbing through Facebook, that's for sure. Many neglect prayer to such an extent that their spiritual life gradually dies 
out. We do not have time, we say, or we forget to pray. The result is that we go about at home and in the assembly of believers like spiritual cripples or dwarves, spiritually starved and emaciated, with scarcely enough strength to stand on our own feet, not to speak of fighting against sin and serving the Lord. You get those, those three images that are there? This is, this is what's normal for any of us walking with God. We're going to wake up. Sin is going to be up before you get up. Waiting at the door. It's a new day. Would you come out and play? And you're going to be in some kind of shape to interact with that. So there's going to be the, the struggle of life. The Bible's filled with thoughts about suffering and challenges and difficulties. You, you and I will need something from God for that setting. And then temptation's going to come. Temptation that is wired and specifically about me and for me and affecting me and designed for me. I'm, I'm going to need something in that arena. And, and then that's not even the touch yet. We're going to advance the kingdom of God. We are going to kick on the door of hell and pick a fight with the devil himself in order to advance God's kingdom. So, so something about what's in my soul, how has prayer affected me for those settings? So listen, if I look into those settings and I find myself constantly flipped over backwards, unengaged, unaware, don't know even where to turn, I, I, I don't know how to address suffering in a, in a way that has life in it, I am not doing well dealing with the temptations that come my way. And I, I don't find much of a category for me to advance the kingdom of God. Can, can I just say, if that's the diagnosis of our lives, it, it leads back to our prayer lives. Those things are the direct result of our prayer lives. So here you are this morning. If you, don't, if you don't pick this plane up, you're not going anywhere. I just got to tell you that. There, there are two things that are as basic as it gets to being a Christian. The Bible and prayer. And everything else beyond that can't undermine those two things. You, you can't get any more foundationally basic to hear the sure word of what God has said and how he has revealed himself and to pray because prayer takes this word and transfers it into my soul. So if you're just a Bible reader and you're not a prayer, then you got a transfer problem going on. So I need prayer or it's going to show up when I, when I face suffering. It's going to show up when I face temptation. It's going to show up whether or not I advance the kingdom of God in my life. So th- this, is, this is no small category. If we are a room full of people with our prayer lives lying on the ground somewhere, we're in serious trouble. The, the appliances of Christianity don't work if they're not plugged into the power of God. They just don't work. Ken Hughes 
give some context to this passage in Hebrews that we were looking at. He speaks about this gathering in the first century that was receiving this letter to the Hebrews. He says, some in that beleaguered little house church of the first century had allowed the mounting hardships to draw them away from God rather than closer by prayer. Their confidence was gone. That's why seven times this group of people are told to draw near to God. There is something near to God that you and I need in order to exist. And so throughout this letter, you're going to bump into the difficulties of life that people are experiencing. There's much in here that's going to advertise in the beginning the help that Jesus Christ came and put on flesh. He relates to your weaknesses. He understands what you are experiencing as a human being. He came and became one, and he lives to make intercession. So Jesus relating to our weakness produces in him prayer. The Son of God, when he encounters our weaknesses, it makes him pray. What does it do for us? This has got to drive me before God in prayer. It's got to. And and this book is laden with encouragement for others. The, The need to strengthen those who are weak. If you just follow Hebrews, if you're curious to read, just read the whole thing and get a flow for it, a feel for it. It it is arguing with the people who apparently are saying, I think I'm going to quit. I don't know if I can do this anymore. I I think I'm going to quit. And you and I pick up bits and pieces of that. We don't catch it sometimes because we don't read the whole book correctly. But by the time you get to Hebrews 11, you know, the Hall of Faith chapter, do you know why all these witnesses have been called? To convince a group of people who are tempted to quit, don't quit. Look at all the ones who have gone before you who have walked by faith. And he makes that argument for an entire chapter and he gets to chapter 12 and he turns that corner and he says, okay, now let us run with endurance the the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured. There is an enduring that will make you want to quit. And and, and where's the remedy to that going to come? it's going to come from the throne of grace when you get near enough to it to feel the buzz and the power of it transferred into your own soul. That's what's going to make the difference in whether or not you quit. And and listen to this. If you look in chapter 13 there, you can have access to that real quickly. All this helpful instruction along the way, and chapter 13's got some real practical things to do that's going to bring strength and help for this community. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among you. Remember your leaders, verse 7. So here's all these admonitions. And then the last admonition is in verse 18. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, verse 20, may the God of peace, right, now here's his blessing. That's the last thing he admonishes them to do is to pray. Now, may the God of peace, 
who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. If you back up to chapter 4, part of that equipping was let us then draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's equipping. If you and I want to see, walk in, experience the will of God, that is equipping that this verse is pointing to. Equip you with everything good. That's good. Learning to take my life before the throne of God's grace. Learning to take others before the throne of God's grace. Learning not to complain, but to pray. To bring the kingdom of God. To bash open things that are dark and broken and not working correctly. That's being equipped for good things. Now here's where Here's where we need to be this morning. Ronald, you can go ahead and bring the band back up. Go back to my Kent Hughes quote there. He spoke of these people. He said, their confidence was gone. And then he says, what about you? Has life made you draw away from the throne of grace or draw near. Everybody hear that? What about you? Has life made you draw away from the throne of God's grace or draw near? I don't want to do this again next week, okay? So I need everybody to pick up their plane this morning. In your heart, I don't know what that looks like, but you got a little relating to God plane inside of you that perhaps has been laying, right now you're actually trying to find it mentally. I don't even know where it is. I haven't seen that in so long. I, I, was, I was eager to preach the rest of the message. I think I find it significant. These are, these are strange, disturbing impressions sometimes that I feel. So I, I find it significant. I find it helpful. Uh, but it's concerning as well for the Lord to stop and say, do not, do not, do not say anything else. And again, these are not quite the exact words, but they're not listening I, that's as close as I can come to what that felt like. And you understand, I, I wasn't trying not to preach. I had studied and prayed for hours. I was prepared to preach the rest of those notes. And for the Lord just to say, don't, don't do this. I, I just need everybody. I, and I'm, it doesn't matter what I need. It, it, I think it's what God is doing among us. Everybody needs to pick up their plane this morning. And you're just going to need to work past that sense of, but Keith, if I, if I, if I pick it up and I, and I throw it again, I'm just going to fail again. Well, 
welcome to earth. But if you don't pick it up, is that a solution, really? And you're not going to try and live the rest of our Christian life with a, a prayer life that sits on the ground? If you pick it up and it flies for a short period of time, what kingdom activity will have taken place in that short period of time that will be glorious? And if you've got to pick it up again, you're just going to be like all the rest of us who had to pick it up again. So I, I don't escape this. I, I have the same airplane problems that you have. But there's something God wants to do in us as a church, as individuals, as a people living in a culture that is dark, dark. Can, you, can, you, can I scare you to tell you the darkness is going to show up in your world? It will not spare you. These are dark times. And God breaks into dark times when people pray and call on him and his light pierces into what looked like it was immovable, unchangeable. I hope every one of us are here this morning. We're willing just for God to, to do a little bit of an accounting with us, to, a little bit of an audit so that we can move from where we are. And we can be honest, we can pick up what God has given us to pick up in the next few weeks and see God change the way we relate to him, the way we need him, the way we bring our life to him in prayer and receive from him. So let's, let's stand up together. Lord, much more than a human voice reasoning with us. We, we need your voice compelling us, convicting us, inspiring us. But I thank you that, that there is deep insight available. And just in this little passage we've been staring into, Every person here who has entrusted their life to the person and work of Christ has access right now at this moment to a throne of grace. It's not a throne of exceptionally qualified prayer warriors. It's not a throne of awesome parents and awesome pastors and really responsible kingdom people. It's a throne of grace. So God, I thank you that if we've trusted you, there's nothing about us that disqualifies us in this moment. That's just the truth. Whether I feel like that or not.
Lord, would you give us an awareness, a, a responsive heart to answer the question, what about you? Has life made you draw away from the throne of grace or draw near to the throne of grace? Lord, Spirit of God, be in this room with each one of us right now. Bringing light into that question and reality into our hearts. I just sense that there are, there are some here who I say it to you this way the distance that you have been practicing has, has had a hardening effect on you God is greater than the hardness but you are a bit hardened even this morning you are here and you are hardened and in your hardness you are attitude has been full of complaining. There's been much that you have been complaining about and little that you have been praying about. I believe the Lord would want to say something to you that sounds like shut up. Complaining to me and start praying to me. Start looking for me in your setting. Start looking for my kingdom coming in your delays, in the hardship. Start believing for my kingdom to come in the place that you have been dwelling. Start being a vehicle through which your prayers would shape the future. I never called you to that place so that you could complain to me about it. I called you to that place so that you could pray to me about it. There's some here this morning and just have the same sense that Hannah was in a place where it was her life that was hurting. It was her life that hurt. And it drove her in prayer to God. I believe some of you are in a place where your life is hurting. You are in pain. Let that pain give birth to prayers. Let this be a setting and a season that launches you toward God. Even if it's an anguished launch, let it be a launch toward God. And you sound like Job. Oh, 
if I knew where to find him. I would bring my arguments to him. Well, you know where to find God. His throne of grace is open. And he calls on you, come and come again and come again and endure and persevere and call out and let God begin to shape you. You are in a place that's not just about the outcome. It's about God shaping you on the way to the outcome. God, there are some situations in this room this morning that without your power, there's not a good future coming. God, the life you've given us was supposed to be a life that needed power beyond ours, needed your power. God, I pray for some who have given up, who have this sense like the Hebrews that they they are tempted just to quit, that, that there's just no reason to keep trying to do this, that this morning you would invade into that place with a summons, with a call to come near to you. Lord, there's something about your nearness. There's something about tasting and seeing. There's something about encountering the realities of who you are that that transform us, that embolden us, that empower us. we need to hear something together as a church. Something about prayer, something about corporate prayer, something about praying for your kingdom to come among us. God, would you give us ears to hear that this morning? There's some here who have been mighty in intercession in their lives and and, and right now they are realizing their plain lies on the floor. Would you awaken the intercessors in this church who will find their place before your throne, who will shape the future that we're about to walk into as a church. Let me ask the three or four of you that I asked to come and pray for us this morning. If you guys would find your way here this morning. Chris, if you would come as well and share the word that the Lord, dream that the Lord had given you. Let Chris go first. It's just an interesting thing. Remember, I just, I just got an audible Saturday morning Chris doesn't know anything about an audible coming. He doesn't know what's happening this Sunday, but this is the what God awakened in him. Um, this morning I woke up and I remembered a dream, which I just almost never do. And it was not only a dream, but it was one that actually made sense. <laughs> and this, this was the picture. It's one of our very nice 
landscapes here in New Orleans. And there's in the border in front of a house, there's a beautiful bush. But there's something wrong about the bush. Um, there's, a, there's another plant, and it's big, and it's kind of a weird way to describe it, but it's kind of muscular. You don't think of plants being muscular, but this plant was, was pushing and was pushing this other plant and crowding it out so that this, other, this beautiful plant is kind of spindly, trying to reach for the sun, and it's just being crowded out. And the man goes out and he realizes something's got to happen. And so he goes to his toolbox to try to find something that'll take care of that big old thing that's crowding out this beautiful bush. And he, he finds he doesn't have anything that will do it. So the verse that the Lord gave me was John 15:1, where Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And he's the only one that's got what it takes to take care of that nasty thing. Lord, we just want to receive from you things that you're sharing with us this morning. Lord, it's intimidating for our communion and prayer with you to have been overtaken by something else. That's what that dream seems to communicate. Something has muscled its way into our lives, refusing to be displaced. Lord, before we think that can't change, Lord, would you remind us that you are the vine dresser? You are the great sovereign who rules over the powers and forces in our lives. And so, Lord, we are not in this with our own strength. God, we are are in this with your power and your faithfulness. that question haunts me. Am I listening? Are we listening? Or is this just another thing that we think we are being called upon to do that we don't have space for? Are we listening? And I was reminded of that prayer warrior, Hannah, who agonized in prayer. And out of that prayer came one of the great judges and prophets of Israel, Samuel. And his ministry began, interestingly, with a time in which he was hearing from you, but he thought it was his boss. But when he went back time after time and realized this was you, he said, here am I, Lord, speak, let me listen. May we engage our Father who loves us dearly, evidenced by his Son who died that we could have access to him, this throne. We have direct access to this throne of grace. May we, like Samuel, say, here am I. Lord, speak to me. Lord, as I was thinking, as the Spirit was moving in the message this morning, and I remembered a song that's been very near to me, And the words just jumped out at me once again. Simple phrase in the chorus. It's not in trying, but in trusting. 
It's not in running, but in resting. It's not in wondering. Not in wondering, but in praying that we find the strength of the Lord. We plug in to the strength of the Lord as we don't wonder or complain. Lord, make that something that resonates in our hearts so that we don't abandon this absolute necessity of plugging into the power that we have in the Holy Spirit. This wonderful access that we have to a throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need. That we don't abandon it. But treat it as though it's just another thing to do. Oh Lord, no, it's not. It's life. It's life. Lord, convict me, convict us of the absolute necessity so that everything else will fall into place and we'll find the strength of the Lord that we need in our darkness, our personal darkness, as we pray and call out to you based on the promises in your word, based on the revelation of yourself in your word, based on your revelation of us and our hearts in your word. We are so prone to hear your voice and think it's something else. Lord, may we be ready to hear your voice and may we be so familiar with it because we've been engaged in prayer that we know it's your voice and we have confidence then that you are working in our need, in our darkness. Lord, we have this access because of what you did, our dear Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Help us. I think of the scripture that we're talking about that we can come boldly to the throne of grace I think of Queen Esther who was requested to go to the king on behalf of God's people who are in danger of being destroyed and she said to Mordecai unless the king calls me to come I might die if I attempt to go into his presence Yet we can come boldly to the throne of the king of the universe any time his throne is open to us and his scepter is held out to us. Come, he says, ask of me. I am waiting for you. Thank you. Thank you for the times when with my children or with my grandchildren they come and they they confess they've sinned and they are saddened maybe because they got caught or maybe because they truly have been moved on by you and Lord I I thank you for that sense this morning that you've caught us. And we thank you that when you catch us, you don't catch us to punish us. You catch us to woo us even more into you, Lord. 
thank you that you took all of your wrath out upon your son. That there is no more wrath for us. That there is no more burning anger for us. That Jesus, you drank every drop of the wrath we deserved. And we stand before you even now, blameless and with great joy because of what you have done for us, Lord. And we are so grateful. But Lord, we have been guilty of fixing our eyes on our our navels, Lord. We've looked down to the earth. We've looked on things. We've judged by what our eyes see and what our ears hear and with natural thinking. And Lord, we, we come before you, Abba, this morning and we, we simply confess that to you and say, Lord, we don't want to do this. And so, Lord, we would hear the words that you had Isaiah write for your church, for us. Lift up your eyes on high. Look, it is I who have created all the stars. I am the one who leads forth their host by number. I call them all by name. Because of the greatness of my might and the strength of my power, not one of them is missing. said, why do you say, O Jacob, or why do you say, O Jim, or Paul, or Joan, why do you assert, O Israel, why do you assert, Lakeview, my way is hidden from the Lord, what is right, what is due to me escapes his notice. Father, we repent of that very thing, Lord. heard, the everlasting God, the, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not become weary or tired. His ways are unsearchable. And so, Lord, we, we confess that to you this morning. We do know, and we have heard. You, everlasting God, the Lord, you are the creator of the ends of the earth, and you are the creator of every one of us and the recreator of every one of us. You are our strength when we are weary. You are our might when we lack power. Lord, we do grow weary and tired. We do stumble, Lord. Yes, we do, and yes, we have, and yes, we will. Yet, Lord, we who wait upon you, we who are bound together with you, Lord, this morning, Father, we receive that which we have by your indwelling Spirit. Lord, we don't want to mount up like paper airplanes. We mount up, Lord, this morning with wings like eagles. We receive the strength of the Lord. We will run 
this life in the power of the Spirit. And by your grace, we will not grow tired. And we will walk and not become weary, Lord. Because, God, we are know you are moving in us by the Spirit to walk in the Spirit, to leap in the Spirit, to soar in the Spirit, and experience the life that we now have been given by the indwelling Spirit so that we will say with the Apostle Paul, Lord, for us to live through whatever circumstance we are walking in is Christ for we are bound together with you, Lord. We thank you for that. And bound together with one another so that in all ways, at all times, we are knowing you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent for your glory, Father. Let me close us this way. I want you to... If you're capable, I just want you to turn in your seat and just, and just kneel down. I just want you to listen for the Lord to dismiss you. But I want you to be able to say before you get up, I'm listening. I'm listening. And as the Lord dismisses you, then you are dismissed. And we'll let you linger as Lord, long as the Lord wants you to be lingering there.